Hello and welcome to the Coach Conversations podcast, the podcast where coaches have conversations about all things coaching. I'm Brendan Laleve and today I'm joined by Anna Marshall from People Mastery. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, hearing a little bit about what you've been doing, which obviously includes the book. We'll talk about your new book, which is very exciting. But I'd, I'd like to, to start, if I can, with a, well, where did you start? Like, where do you want to begin? <laughs> um, I did, well, as the listeners will pick up pretty quickly, I started in Scotland. So I'm born and bred in Scotland, went to uni in Scotland and moved to Broken Hill in 1995. So that was my first induction to Australia. So it was a bit of an interesting one. And, um, and then I fell into sort of HR and that, I guess, is the, the long precursor to how I got into coaching. So didn't really get into coaching till a little bit later in my career, I guess. So in my 30s. So I'm kind of nearly 50 now. So I've had 20 good years. <laughs> yeah. So happy to give you more information along the way. But yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> I love that later in my career, the 30s. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that late. I, I found it probably a similar-ish age, actually. And I think, you know, it's quite exciting to have found something that, I enjoy and I'm passionate about and get good results in you know, and get paid for because it's kind of yes. important at this stage of all lives, I imagine, but particularly with young kids around and what have you. Yeah. Uh, so early because I feel like sometimes people you know, don't always find that. They sort of go through a whole career and go, well, what do I do now? I'm not quite sure. So how yeah. did you bump into coaching? So I guess it was when I was thinking about starting my own business. So that was, well, no, it's probably before then. I guess as I was on my journey, so I got into HR. So I started off, sort of fell into training development role. And then that kind of morphed into human resource management. And then I realized that actually I don't really like those transactional, everyday HR operational type things. I like the learning and development and growth side. So I kind of got into that and I was like, oh, what else could I do? And then I was like, oh, coaching, this sounds interesting. And I guess I'd had a few really excellent coaches. You know, I'd been on the receiving end of some good coaches along the way and that kind of interested me. So um, I guess it was when I was in my sort of people and culture role at Snowy Hydra. That's when I first started doing formal coach development and I um, did some of the programs with the Institute of Executive Coaching and Leadership, which I loved. And I still remember the very first program, like level one, you know, coaching for babies, basically. <laughs> and we went into the, went into the, it was a pretty grand room in, in Sydney, sort of, you know, oak panelled kind of room. And we're standing there and Hilary Armstrong was the, um, the trainer. And she asked us to kind of, you know, think about our coaching on a scale of one to 10, you know, how would we rate ourselves? So, you know, sort of did the, you know, horizontal line. And we all kind of gravitated up to that sort of six or seven out of 10. And then, you know, we had the three days, which it's like, a, you know, uh, broke down everything we thought we knew and realized we knew nothing. <laughs> and then, you know, she asked us again, so, you know, at the end of the three day program, where do you think you are now? And we're all like back down to like ones and twos. And you just realize how, you know, you, you have that unconscious yeah you have that conscious incompetence like you, you you suddenly realize what you don't know and the world is so vast and you know so little um and I was just hooked you know and just 
being on the receiving end of these young coaches and then myself being able to practice and just noticing the difference that you could make not having the answers mm. gold yeah so liberating when you recognize totally it. i don't have to answer this i just have to yeah. ask a question <laughs> yeah. uh, even when you know because similar sort of um development journey and what have you but you know i'd be working with a team internally and they'd come and say brendan what do you think we should do about blah i don't know what do you think and they'd come up with an answer themselves it was such a nice shift in leadership as opposed to tell 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 and then they worked it out and they'd say we want an answer not a question like (laughs) (laughs) picky people yeah it's like oh what's the answer i think that you think i'm going to give you and they'd like get halfway through answering it and then go no you got me again (laughs) what you're talking about is heaps better so yeah i like that where are you at the moment i walked into level one thinking three days on telling people what to do how they're going to drag this out and how are there two other levels on top of this so i was yeah very unconsciously incompetent when it came but i think it'd been using some of the techniques already just not consciously and and sometimes it'd work and sometimes it'd fall flat on its face yeah it's kind of interesting isn't it when you kind of learn something and you kind of go oh yeah i've been doing that but you didn't know the why and I think, you know, you have that kind of light bulb moment. You're like, oh, that's why that works. Or, oh, that why, that's why that doesn't work. Mm. And I, I often think when I'm doing delivery now, like if I can help people deepen their understanding of the why, like, the you know, why does that work? Why is that a good strategy? Why is that a not a helpful strategy? Um, it doesn't matter if they've heard it before. It's just you building up these layers of understanding and practice that makes a really big difference. Mm. Yeah. And I... I enjoyed seeing that play out throughout the book we'll have to give the book a plug in a minute um <laughs> around that transition from you know individual contributor subject matter expert technical yeah. you know excellence whatever font of all knowledge into management or leadership of of others and how often we can fall into that trap of oh, i've done that i know the answer here's the answer and mm-hmm. i think the words you use in the book are you help them to solve their problems as opposed to um you them becoming your problems it's more eloquent in the book but yeah i like that shift between your and their in particular yeah exactly what's the book called we keep talking Ah, about this book book? so the book's called on your marks get set lead uh and it's the subtitle is a beginner's guide to people leadership and it, it really is as simple as that it's written i guess it has two audiences Um, The first one, obviously, beginning leaders, people who are stepping into people leadership for the first time. So, you know, that might be, I don't know, a fresh graduate that's just about to take on some kind of people responsibility. Or it could be someone that's, you know, gone down that technical path quite, you know, quite far and then transitioned over to leadership. So it doesn't really matter, you know, what age and stage you're at. It's just if you're making that sort of that first step into people leadership, this is really hopefully a good guide for you. So. Set, I guess it's set out like a resource and a handbook to help you um, manage through the transition really well. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I've spent a bit of time recently reading it and I bought the Kindle version because I wasn't confident that the paper version would get here. And there was a little bit of bias in me going, oh, I don't know whether this will be as enjoyable, but I actually really liked it because it meant I could just highlight little patch, like passages and go, oh, that's a good note or I like how that's written or I'll have to... Right 
bring that up. And then they're, they're all in there in a in a you know notebook effectively. So beautiful. Little things that I picked out of it along the way. Oh, I wish I'd known that earlier in my career. Or yes, I, oh, I agree with that. That was what good. do you, if you had to pick one thing, Brandon? That you you know, it's I feel really flattered that you found lots in there that was helpful. So thank you. I'm really delighted because that's what it's all about. But if you could only pick one thing, you know, what would you say has been most useful for you? The thing that landed best and that I will be um, using and attributing. Uh, was the quote from your mum about how my phone is for my convenience, not for others. I absolutely loved that. I thought, because so often I'll be running training sessions or coaching or what have you, and people will be distracted by their phone. And I just think that's such a nice reframe. It's not there so, so other people can conveniently contact me. It's there so I can use it for my own convenience. So I think and I hope that that will reframe. But there are a number of things as I was sort of reading through it that sort of jumped out at me. Um, in particular, you know, I've been doing for a while, but should have started earlier. So <laughs> you know, and, and there are a couple of times I'm reading, I'm like, oh, I hope there's something on, you know, values or, uh, you know, different approaches people might have and you've used DISC in there or, you know, some things that, that might how do I manage my time when everyone's coming to me? And it's like, I sort of turn the page, you know, virtually. There it is. And I'm like, there it is. <laughs> so that was really Perfect. nice as well. Um, and, and some really, I like how there's a mix of, you know, here's the research, here's some resources, here's my exposure and experience with it, with a nice story. And then the, um, the draw bit at the end. Yeah. You know, I thought, learning you know, reflection. Little yeah. reflection pieces around as opposed to just sort of burning through the book and then going, well, I don't I don't really know what I'm meant to do with it. I know I read that somewhere, but where is it in the book? Yeah. I think that's the thing. You've done lots of facilitation too. You know that there's so many different types of learners out there. So I guess I was quite conscious when I was writing the book, you know, people like to read books in different ways. So how can I sort of do a bit of uh not quite something for everyone, but how can I, you know, have a, a layout that enables people to, you know, if they just want to dip in and out, they can do that easily or just give me the nut, you know, what's the nutshell. So like you said, the DRA, the DRA, discovery, reflection, action, you know, you can pop into the end of the chapter and go, ah, that's really the crux of it. Mm. Um, and I tell you what, it's a bloody good practice for me to be able to, to, to make it distilled like that. Um, when I was writing the book, I had a book coach. So Andrew Griffiths, who's a re really um, prolific business writer. He was amazing. And, you know, he said, the challenge is to write a short book. Not, it's easy to write a long book, but it's hard to write a short book. And he said, it'll be the best personal development you've ever done. And it, and it is for so many reasons. But the power of distilling your thinking when you're wanting to translate it to somebody else is unbelievable you know then some chapters my goodness they took a lot of birthing <laughs> um but the going through the process you just get really really clear on what it is that you're trying to say and it's been so valuable for me because you know you 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 get the crux of what you want to communicate and then you find yourself in conversations you whether it's with your good self or other people and it's there in this really you know in the essence and you can just drop it and people go that you see them have that eye, the, the, the light bulb moment. And for me, that's really powerful because it means I waste a lot less of their time. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. So yeah, it's been awesome. And what what did you learn about yourself while you were writing the book? Gosh, it's that whole thing about you know who am I to write this? You know, who am I to write a book? You know, it's a confidence thing. Um, and you know, not everybody not everybody does write a book. I believe if I can write one, any anybody can, but not everybody does. Mm. Uh, and it's when you hand it over to someone, you know, because I guess I didn't write it because I want to be, you know, a you know New York Times number one bestselling author. It's totally not about that. It just there was a book in me that wanted to come out, and and I thought I don't care if anybody buys it because I'm just going to use a resource for my programs and could give it to my coaches if they'd find that useful and that kind of stuff so it was kind of, I'm going to do it anyway and bonus is people have bought it which has been great <laughs> <laughs> um but just to uh stand behind your views and opinions and you know back with some research too and to be able to hand it over to someone and, and feel at that point there's nothing more I could have done like it's as good as it as I could possibly make it. That doesn't mean it's exceptional. It just means it's as good as I could get it <laughs> with a fabulous editing team, of course. So yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been really interesting. So I feel more confident in what I think about things. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the power of reflection, Brendan, you can't be a coach and not know that stuff. And it's just like 75,000 words worth of reflection. I mean, it's super powerful. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I like, how useful that is it's definitely something i need to get back to doing with a bit more habit because i had a really good structure and framework in place and then it, it slipped and i haven't i haven't got back to it yet and how did you do it so i used to get a um an a5 book that's the one that's smaller than a4 yeah. open yeah. a5 yeah. book <clears throat> and i would open it to uh two blank pages Yes. And at the end of the week on every Friday, and the appointment is still in my calendar because it's there for perpetuity. Yeah. It just says um, re review the week is what the, the meeting is. Yeah. Called. Yeah. And in that time, what I would do when I was doing it was write at least three things that went well on the left hand side mm -hmm. and no more than three things that didn't go quite so well on the right. Because otherwise, right. I just fill out all the right pages, right? Like <laughs> yes. all these things fell to pieces, and that conversation didn't go well. Yeah. I didn't have lunch. I didn't, you know, put enough time aside for that. I cut someone off. I gave advice when I should. All that stuff would just yeah, know, yeah, fill the book, and there'd be not as much on the on the left. And what I really liked about that was it it helped me to get those thoughts down on paper. If you do it for a month, then you've got 12 things that have gone really well written down already. And so you go, oh, it was a bit of a dud month. I didn't really get much done or I don't feel like I've made any progress. And you get called into your manager's office for, you know, a performance discussion, you know, whether that's the annual one or the six monthly one, or hopefully one of the more regular ones, if you get them. Uh, you can get the book. <laughs> <laughs> the tip in the book about making them that way. And, and you can sort of say, oh, these are the things that I've done and you've got them there. The other thing it showed me is where there are patterns. You know, I, yeah. I didn't have that conversation. I didn't approach that situation prepared. I didn't, you know, whatever it might have been. And that's shown up over three or four right-hand pages. Yeah. Maybe 
I need to do something about that. And then when I would go and speak with my manager or a mentor or trusted colleague, you know, coach, et cetera, like I've got some things I need to work on and some successes that I've put in place, but I haven't adapted that to virtual yet. That's the thing. I'm trying to be more virtual. Um, and, and that's just because I haven't tried, I think, more than anything else. Yeah. And when you, when you say virtual, do you mean um, like digital or like capturing your records digitally? Yeah. Yeah, trying to get away from the use of paper. Mm. I use a Remarkable. I don't know if you've had a look at those, but I love it because I was a bit like you. It's like, oh, my God, how am I going to get rid of this paper nightmare? Uh, and so I've been using that for coaching notes. I love it for coaching notes. I love it for everything, in fact. But I find that really good because it's so close to having a notepad and a pen. It's mm. great. Yeah, there was someone that's, sitting that's my... next to me at a, a workshop that I was at that had one, and I was just, oh, that was pretty cool. Like that's you seems to be writing nicely and efficiently and what mm. have you. And, you know, the other thing that I liked about it was it was it seemed pretty neat. Yes. Yeah. It certainly makes my handwriting look neater because you can pick this magical calligraphy pen. It's like, oh, who just improved my handwriting overnight? That was great. <laughs> yeah. So um, you got the tablet, got the pen for the tablet, just haven't sort of moved it across. But the Remarkable does seem like a, a nifty little device as, as yeah. well. I think seen. there's something quite a little bit different with the, the tablets and the connection with the stylus doesn't seem to be quite as deft as the remarkable, I don't think. I mean, it really does feel like writing on paper. Mm. Um, my husband uses the sort of tablet and the stylus and it's just not quite as, yeah, it hasn't got the same feel, you know. Mm. And you mentioned coaching notes. So what sort of notes are you taking in coaching? Because I used to take heaps and now I take none and... I know every coach has got a slightly different approach. But I know. You... And I know many I know many people say, and Hillary would be rolling her eyes going, I said no notes in the training. <laughs> <laughs> um, I use them as, um, I use them to keep me on track with the coachee. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not writing down what they said. Um, it's almost like, I guess I, I, the way I think about it is it helps me be more present, which might sound a bit counterintuitive, but it's, as you said, everyone's different and you need to, you know, do whatever makes you the best coach. And so if you look to my notes afterwards, there might just be like one or two random words and you'd be thinking, what the hell was that all about? But it could be something like a recurring theme that seems to be coming up in the conversation and they're mid flow and you're going, I don't want to ask them about that right now, but I don't want to forget about that later. And so it allows me to kind of park it and then let go of it so I can stay present in the conversation. So I guess that's how I do it. Mm, yeah. And I've seen some coaches, they, they're quite conceptual. They almost draw the conversation. I don't know how they, they do it, but yeah. and, and stay present. So they, you know, they draw these little journeys and paths and forests and yeah. I had a, I had a lady that I know he's a really good coach, Deb King, and she did that. And I remember it was a virtual um, coaching conversation. So I think we're just doing it on the telephone. And um, at the end of the session, she, she you just sort of as an extra bonus, just sent me a photograph of the sheet and I was blown away. There was like little houses and all sorts of stuff on it. And it obviously just her mind is really visual like that. And so that's how she sort of captured, you know, the conversation um so I think 
I don't think there's like a right or a wrong answer. I mean, taking notes is bad if it takes you away from the conversation. Um, but if the if the notes enable you to stay more present in the conversation and serve the coachee more effectively, then why would you not? She says, standing behind her own opinion for once. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. If it works, do it. Uh, there's yeah. another another coach I know that will clock words that people use regularly or multiple yeah. times. Yeah. And they'll just write them once, but they'll, you know, tick or circle. Um, yeah. I say it again. And so I, I'm trying to do that mentally. Yes. You're right. Sometimes it sticks and sometimes it's like, where were we going? I had a, oh, the next question will be whatever the next question is going yes. to be. Yeah. But I, you know, if I could have held on to that, maybe there would have been a different conversation that launched. Yeah. Just- you never, you never know, do you? I, I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you, you might, you, you write that word down, like you said, you'd held that word in your mind and you come back to it and place it in front of the coaching and say, not irrelevant. Okay, great. Move on. Um, <laughs> and maybe, maybe, they, maybe they go, oh my goodness, I've just had a breakthrough. So you just never know. Uh, and that's probably what I love about it too, being a sort of a variety person and a bit more spontaneous. You never know where they're going to go. <laughs> Whenever. Although I'd probably say usually not where they think they are. <laughs> yeah, it's whenever you think, oh, I've got this great question, like oh, they've said the word interesting 400 times in 30 minutes, I'm going to put that in front of them and they'll go, oh, in my whole life I see it differently now. And it's like, oh, you've just said the word interesting, you know, 401 times now. And they go, oh, have I? Okay, that's not that yeah. interesting. Yeah, right. whatever, move on. <laughs> like, no, it's really interesting. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not about you, Brendan. Just yeah, no, I know. That's it. Yeah. Oh, isn't it? Isn't it fascinating how there's these little phrases that stick with you? You know, like you said, the that my mum's comment about the mobile phones for my convenience, not anybody else's. Um, and I remember Hillary, like my coach trainer, the first level, going, "Who's this question for? Is that for you or is that for them?" And that one has been like sort of firebranded across my mind. <laughs> <laughs> serves me well every time yeah. and I think you know coach you know you come into the coaching profession and you are curious anyway but it's a different kind of curious isn't it, it and an enabling curiosity I guess yeah and sometimes I find that can be quite hard to hold on to particularly when there's similarity with counterpart you know worked in similar streams no worked in similar departments, potentially know similar people, you know, do similar activities. And they talk, sitting there talking about all of these things. And it's just, oh, I'd love to, you know, share my experience there. You know, I was a scout. I was a public servant. Yeah. I was a, yeah. you know, volunteer. I was a, you know, I'm a blood donor. I'm a, you know, all these things they talk about. It's, it's not about you. Just, you don't. I know. I always feel relieved when I'm coaching someone who's so different from me because just like, this is going to be so much easier. <laughs> I know nothing about your area. Excellent. Great. This is going to be awesome coaching. <laughs> yeah. Database design. Wonderful. Uh, you know, insect uh, sciences. Magnificent. Let's coach. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, exactly. I got nothing. You can yeah. ask me all you want. And I'm, I can't. I have nothing to give you. Yeah. You got to find someone else for that. For sure. Yeah. So that's always intriguing as well. And, and I like I liked your definition of coaching actually from the book. And even though I've coached for a long while now, I still don't have a great definition that I 
can say to people i often say it's easier to experience than it is to explain have you got five minutes and i'll just ask you some questions and they'll sort of get to a point like oh that's interesting or thinking about that differently or well that's new and i'm like yeah that's coaching and they go oh yeah that makes sense but uh you know i thought your definition was uh, coaching is the ability to enable another person to explore and resolve an issue for themselves Coaches do this work by being present, listening deeply and asking powerful questions. Uh, spoiler alert, there is no advice giving component in coaching. And your role as a coach is to help them identify and explore different perspectives and use questions to help us do this work. There is no need to provide advice. The coachee is perfectly capable of coming up with alternate perspectives all by themselves when you ask useful questions. So I quite liked that as well that was one of the ones that got highlighted that's great i i think i can't remember if i've got it in there i'm pretty sure i've got it somewhere it might be it, it might just be down as a quote but i think you know how i talked about some of some of those phrases that just get branded on you when you're going through your learning um chip mcfarlane who is an awesome um you know an amazing coach he he um he had us do this exercise it was in melbourne i think it might have been the level level two coach program and if you can imagine sort of a room full of coaches and we're all sort of in the circle, it must have been like the second day. So we've come back in and we're, we're, you know, rallying the troops for the day, so to speak. And, and Chips, you know, he's a very sort of um, striking um, man and he, he's sort of standing in the middle of the room and he said, so, you know, what is coaching? And a bit like you're saying, you know, it's, you know, it's easier to experience and to explain. And so, you know, there's, the coaches there and some of them are super experienced, like way more than me. And they're struggling, you know, they're coming up with ideas. And so they're putting in all their suggestions and, and Chip is putting his hand towards them and like with the, like the stop sign and going, no, no. And there was a part of me internally, like the facility that was dying a little bit inside going, oh my gosh, he's shutting everybody down. This is terrible. You never do that in facilitation. Anyway, no, no, the big hand, no, shutting down everyone. And so we went, you know, all these a million different suggestions, no. And then he just said to us at the end, he said, coaching is enabling someone to think differently and have them act upon it. That's it. And, I, and we were like, wow. And part of me, it was I was a bit angry, to be honest, about the way we've been treated. But I have never forgotten that phrase ever since. And I thought, he's a bit clever, isn't he? He's kind of really got that to stick with us. <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot of training Incredible. with ICL, but never never managed to get Chip. Uh, ah, well, yeah, he's, he's just an incredible uh, coach. And, yeah, I had a very interesting experience with Chip because I, um, a little, maybe a little digression, but interesting just in terms of all your different talents that you can use, hopefully. Um, and I... Um, I'd had a car accident before I went to my level three train. So I'd chipped level two and level three and I'd broken my neck. So I actually broke. So the C2, which is like the second one down from your skull, I'd fractured it right through the right-hand side. So basically one false move and I would have been a sort of quadriplegic. Anyway, as luck had it, I didn't. So I had a neck brace from sort of chin to chest for three months after the accident. I cut a car all over accident. And so not long after that, I went to do this training. And I think, you know, when you're in the coaching practice and you're doing deep reflection, and I think, I don't know how it happened, but just sort of all that emotion must have come to the surface. And, 
one of the coaches was that I was working with just looked at me just in that way that like when they can see into your soul and she said, are you okay? I'm just like, no, I totally lost my bundle and went to the bathroom. I was sobbing so hard. I could not stop. And I thought, gee, I just, you know, I just actually couldn't stop. I'm, I'm in there. I'm, I'm doing the breathe, breathe, breathe. <laughs> couldn't even breathe. Come out of the bathroom. I'm still like the tears are falling down my face and I could not get myself together. And I kind of caught Chip's eye and I kind of sort of gave him the, the wave from the side. Can you help? So he came over and he just kind of sort of took me for a little walk. And I said, you know, I'm kind of doing that hard sobbing. Oh, I can't get myself together, you know. And um, anyway, so we went, just went for a little walk and he, and he said, okay, I just want you to stand and just, I want you to think of, um, you know, all these things that are concerning you and I want, we're going to put them up in balloons. And so, you know, we had, you know, issue number one, issue number two, issue number three. And he said, we're just going to let them all go up there. And it's almost like we were holding on to this big bunch of balloons. He said, are you okay? He said, yeah. Oh, okay. He said, okay. And now we're, I'm going to snip them and we're going to let them go. Are you ready? And, he, and I was sort of like standing against the wall. And he sort of took the sort of his his fingers as the scissors, you know, it's all just, um, you know, visualization and cut the strings. And I had the most incredible experience. I just I felt like I fell back into my body, like, boom, grounded back on the floor again. It was unbelievable. So I kind of got this extra amazing experience when I was working with Chip and he's a shaman, too. So I'm not quite sure how that all fits together, but it was just incredibly powerful regrounding experience so yeah he's a bit of a special person in my book <laughs> well, when you bump into those people you hang on to them right stay connected. yeah for sure for sure but just his ability to be present and enable me to kind of come back from where i was at you know i like the balloon activity that's oh it was incredible you- i'm sure it's not as easy as it sounds but just the way that it sounds really simple but I, I'm sure there's a lot of deep skill in there. Yeah. Yeah. So you haven't had a go at doing that with a client or a counterpart or someone then? No, no. <laughs> it was, I mean, I was actually, you know, right next to him physically. And I kind of think there was probably something in that too. Um, yeah. But I was like, you know, I can't remember a time where I've been that upset. Mm. And, and it was kind of like a surprise as well. So, yeah, it was interesting. Anyway, so, yeah, powerful experience. Yeah. Coaches are amazing people. <laughs> I agree. I mean, you say digression and I sort of think, well, this is just where it goes, right? That's how conversations yeah. and coaching conversations often. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people show up and they go, oh, I just want to talk about <clears throat> getting promoted or that I you know, I don't like my manager or yeah, I want to be better at something or I want to, you know, fix a relationship with my stakeholder. And then before you know it, you can be, you know, into those experiences and those moments and trigger like something just triggers and it's like, okay. I had that happen once. I was doing a coaching demo in front of a room full of people. I was running a leader as coach program. Yeah. And as part of the program, we do a a demo of just the grow model. Fantastic model. Nice and simple. I got the questions pretty much in front of me on a sheet to show them you don't have to memorize all these questions in order for it (laughs) to be a powerful experience. Uh, It's not almost, it's almost not about the question. You just keep asking all that stuff and front of the room, their colleagues sit around the outside and you say, look, it's confidential. We don't know where this is going to go. I get about four questions in and the counterpart just burst into tears. And I was like, well, it obviously needed to come out and I'm, you know, helped that processing to happen, not quite to the 
you know that same extent but you know they were really good about it they were they were saying look it's just emotion i'm just frustrated you know i found an avenue to channel that i feel heaps better now it's out right. i'm much clearer on what i want to do now all of that was really good but you know, i was kind of hoping it'd just be a you know fairly cruisy you know <laughs> coaching conversation that we could demonstrate in front of people I'm like well no Emotions happen in coaching. I think that's one of the things about online that's been the hardest, right? Is it's harder to hand a tissue over online if yeah, if yeah, you trip one of those switches and someone. Yeah, that is that is tricky. I um, when you were talking about having that coaching conversation demo, it made me think of another example, um, which was you know really interesting where coaching conversations can go. I was working with a client, and again, we were doing sort of, sort of some coach development with some of their leaders, and. We asked, because we'd sort of started with the CEO and leadership team and then started to drill down through the organization, we said we asked two of the leadership team if they would come come and be the coach and the counterpart in front of this group of young leaders. Happy to do that. So that was awesome. So we had the operations manager and the policy manager. And so the policy manager, female, she's the coach. Operations manager, male, he's the counterpart. And we'd ask them to think about an example up front. And so the operations manager is a bit cheeky so he, he kind of looks at the audience and and says no it's confidential right it's not going to leave this room and you could see them sort of everybody sort of took, took a collective breath like oh, I wonder what he's going to say and he said okay I've got a really important issue and, and the the coach has gone that's okay you know it's a safe space to have this conversation he says the challenge I've got is how do my wife doesn't think we should tell our children about the Easter bunny but I think it's lying what am I going to do about it? And of course, there was like this uproarious laughter from the group. And then he turned, he says, this is not funny. This is serious. This is a serious problem. And he, they went into it. The coaching was gold. And I just regret that I did not video that coaching conversation. But he was amazed. You know, he really, it was really a challenge for him. And so, you know, always easier to coach in something real. And the coach did really well. And ended up coming up with a few options and how they would move forward and the audience was just enraptured in this conversation so um you never know what you're gonna get <laughs> there you go. i wasn't expecting it to go that way i thought he was gonna say i've got the an issue with one of my stakeholders the policy manager and i just want to work through it <laughs> that would have been oh, a gosh. yeah oh, that's amazing but that's the thing, you like you know, subjects that you think or, or issues that people turn up with that you think are going to be really simple can become really complex or vice versa. Like mm. what they think is really complex. And how many times, I don't know if you're the same, Brendan, have you, could, if you had a dollar for every time someone said, now that I'm saying that, I'm thinking, mm. and you see that penny drop moment, it's yeah. magic. Yep. It is magic and it can be a little addictive, I found early in my coaching <laughs> career as well. I've been trying to get that outcome, work towards it. Why are you not seeing this differently? Why are you not having that moment? Oh, it's because you're trying to chase the moment, Brendan, and you're not actually present. Oh, thank you, supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I just got to go back to being present and then those moments will appear again. No yeah. guarantee, but they're more likely to. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, even the, the patients, you know, sometimes where you think, you know, wow, that was kind of a really interesting conversation. But, you know, and 
did did they actually get anything out of that? You know, you've asked them and they've said yes, but you kind of you're not you're not feeling that confident. You know, you not, haven't really seen anything. And then they come into the next conversation and there's been this transformation between. That's incredible too. So I, you know, again, it teaches you that patience of, you know, it's not a it's not a one night stand, you know what I mean? It's a long-term relationship. <laughs> and you you need to be patient and things do move, you know. Sometimes it takes a bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like it when I get those those longer engagements as opportunities as well, rather than, you know, just come in one session, try and get something progressed. And it's like, well, I think we'd get more value if we did, you know, two or three or six. Yeah. Offered up to that amount. You know, sometimes people are done in two, sometimes people need yeah. eight. Yeah. You know, it'll all come out in the wash, but. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that can happen as well, and that the change has to happen outside of the sessions as well. Yeah. So sometimes you don't get to see that, and I think you know something I continue to reflect on, and um, still not quite know how to. So maybe you've got a tip for me here as well, or if, um, you know, we meet these people, we spend three hours of our lives with them, and three hours of their lives with us dramatic change happens they say things to us you know that they sometimes say that you know haven't told anyone else or haven't shared with anyone like they're very deep reflective conversations you know sometimes there's tears often there's laughter yeah. and then it's just like all right thanks for that and they're gone and you're like, well i know i know that it, you know it wasn't you know the opposite of a one night stand it wasn't going yeah. i'm already married i'm not looking for another yeah. life yeah but you know it felt like we were, <laughs> there was something there and then it's just sort of gone and you bump into them or you see them at the shops and say like, oh hey yeah, yep cool and that's it's just it's it it's a it's just strange how we i know it's it kind of it's an interesting relationship isn't it um I, I i kind of the way i like to frame it is that you know the coaching has you know, empowered and enabled them to make that next step, whatever that step was on whatever whatever journey they were on. And that's a credit, to, that's a credit to you. And that's a credit to us that they can make that next move forward. You know, I guess what would be worse than that if we'd had a hundred coaching sessions and they still <laughs> needed us, I guess. Um, I like to think, and maybe this is just for my own um, amusement, like I like to think that uh we kind of do hold a bit of a special place with, with our coaching counterparts. And I know maybe like you too, Brandon and ACT, like, you know, if I have got people that are local and I bump into them, you know, there's just kind of a warmth there, you know, they really appreciate the work. And, um, and also that you as a coach have been privileged to look behind the curtain that sometimes no one else does. So they feel seen. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's just the kind of the two sides of the one coin, isn't it? We get that privilege and with that, with that also comes that stepping away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been an interesting thing to experience, you know, over the, the last few years while I've been, been coaching more in that way of, yeah. the, of internal coaching. And obviously yes. I think the delineation's easier there because you just go back to being you know leader and follower or manager and team member or colleague and peer or whatever it might be and you get to sort of follow along a bit more of the journey but yeah when it's purely that coach counterpart and then away you go 
I mean, um, can, I, can I ask you a question, Brendan? You know, because you've you've been in that in the organisational sort of context, and then you've switched out as you have now. And it's interesting hear, hearing you say, "Oh, that's kind of easier." And my experience has kind of been the opposite. Like I found it so much easier being, you know, on the outside for one of a better word. And I, I'm wondering now that you're a little bit further along that journey, you know, and you have your reflection, you know. Do you, do you think there's a difference in how you coach? Are you, does it being on the outside does it enable you to coach more? I guess purely, or what would be your observation? Yeah, I think it's it's easier because there's a lot of unknown, right? Like I don't know the stakeholders, I don't know the players, I don't have as much skin in the game. You know, when you're a manager, that you know, I'm just and there's another example in the book. I'm not getting the data I need. I'm just going to escalate it. Yeah. And then their manager can tell them to do their job and I won't have to worry about it. And that, that, you know, as an external, so what might the result of that be? But internally, it's like, please don't do that because yeah. you know, it's going to create a whole world of chaos that you may not be aware of. Or yeah. you know, I'm just going to go and tell them, you know, this person that's working for me that's not doing their job that they're fired or that they're being performance managed. It's like, well, there's some processes we might need to follow. Let's. Let's look at those processes. If I'm internal, whereas external, you know, I can stay more curious. I can ask more yeah. questions. Yeah. So there's definitely that element uh, where it's a bit easier, I think, externally. You know, like you say, show up and coach this person who's an expert in yeah. Yeah. anything finance. And I'm like, well, you're not going to get any advice about how to, you know, get the books to balance from me because... That is not my area of expertise, uh, but you know, if you you want to reflect on your own performance in that role, I can definitely do that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it sort of ebbs and flows both in. I, and I, out. Yeah, I usually um, say to the, the if I'm doing like you say, leaders, coach kind of development work. I said, I said, I'm really sorry. Your job is so much harder than mine you know, that whole kind of concept of the multiple hats and, you know, I've just got the coach hat on and nothing else, but you're already wearing the leader hat and now you've got the coach hat and you've probably got all these other hats that you're wearing as well. And I think it's um, difficult for, you know, internal coaches to separate those sometimes. And um, so, yeah, I always feel grateful that I only have one hat. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Again, very privileged and lucky to be in that position. And I've worked hard to be in that position as well, Anna. You've got to remember that. <laughs> yeah. Lucky happens. I don't know. I'm, all, I'm always kind of optimistic and <laughs> <laughs> lucky and grateful. <laughs> yeah. I think the leader as coach, the challenge there, and I say that to um, people when I'm in there running those programs as well, is that they, they go back to their team and they try and implement the coaching approach where they ask questions and they sit so quietly and they listen deeply and what have you. And, you know, their team members at times go, what's going on here? This is different. Oh, they went on that coaching training. Well, if I just ride this out for a fortnight, they'll go back to just telling me and I won't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. So I think that challenge is really hard in leader as coach until your team recognize the value of that approach is that you go and get the skills and you try and put them in place and there's a lot of resistance often to i don't really want to engage in that because then you're going to make me think and at the moment i just ask you and you think uh, and so 
they've, they're up against that challenge as well. It's not only have they got six different hats on and they're trying to work out which one they should be wearing when and how and why, but the people often don't want them to be wearing that coaching hat. Whereas, you know, if we get engaged, like, we want some coaching coming and coach. actively being drawn in. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? And I think um, with just thinking about the sort of the multiple hats and the wanting the answers and things like that, I think also it's that challenge of knowing that, you know, a coaching conversation could be like two minutes long. And there's this preconception that, or misconception that, oh, well, a coaching conversation like isn't an hour, like sitting down in a meeting room separate to everything. You're like, no, it's the, you know, you walked from your desk to the, you know, the water, the water cooler. That's a coaching conversation right there. Mm. So there's kind of a lot of things that we have to sort of, you know, unlearn about coaching when we're kind of working with leaders, I think, to really get them to see how that works. Um, almost like surreptitious coaching, I guess. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I've shared two of my favourite already. What What do you think I'm going to tell you or what answer do you think I'm going to give you? The, the other one I really like is when I'm working with a manager and they are, assign me a task is to use coaching skills there and say, what does good look like? for that activity or for that task from your perspective. And so many times, you know, I used to work with a number of managers that just saw the world differently to me and completely differently to me. And I'd ask them that question and they go, I haven't really thought about it, but you know, a brief would be sufficient. And I would have been thinking 40 page report, or they'd say, no, we've got to go deep on this one. I want 40 pages. And I was thinking, oh, a paragraph in an email would have been heaps on that. Like just completely <laughs> different spectrum, like ends of the spectrum with regards to that task. And if I hadn't asked that question, I wouldn't have got access to that. And so that, you know, is that coaching, is it not? Well, it helped us both to think differently yeah. through through asking a question and then, and then listening to the answer as opposed to, yeah, I, I know exactly what you want from me. I'll go and do it. And then I'll come back and it'll be exactly the opposite of what you wanted. Yeah. So they're little ones that I, I guess, just drop yeah, in. Yeah, they're, they're really good. And, and I guess the other thing is that sometimes the person didn't realise that they weren't clear on that. You know, like, oh, that's a good question. What do I actually want? You know, hmm, good to know. You know, was it the 40-page or, or the one, you know, the little paragraph email? Um, so, again, you're just you know, by asking those simple questions, they, you, you're enabling the other person to reflect, which is powerful for both of you and just waste so much less time. Yeah. As much as you might say, we've got to give them time to do the reflection, but it, look, it'd be seconds mm. um, and saves that, all that, might, all that, you know, meaningless stuff that you've done that was not required. Yeah, and it helps with the why frame as well. Like, why am I doing this why what are you going to use it for who is it going to who's going to see it and so you know i encourage people that worked for me and and for anyone else that where that question might be useful you know just ask that one extra question yes that and that's using your coaching skills right yeah perfect and, and let's see what bubbles out of it what was your biggest takeaway from the group? What did you, as you were writing, go, oh, that's that's just absolute gold, Anna. How did you not realise that earlier? And, you know, it's taken for you to write the book for it to appear in front of you. Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. 
I think there was so it's kind of hard to pick one thing. I it's, it's I'm, I always much prefer asking the questions than answering them, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying I'm really mean as a facilitator. Ask them all these deep questions, and I think God, I hope they don't ask me that. That's really <laughs> annoying. Um, what would be the one thing? Thinking, thinking, thinking. I think sometimes it's um, you reflect on some of these stories, like, you know, and I think the stories are powerful. Like my book coach was saying, more stories, more stories, more stories. And you reflect on all the stories that have shaped your life. And I guess there's one story. I can't remember if it's in the book or not. There's so many bloody stories in there now. <laughs> and it was when I was, I, I went to do some work with a, with a friend who's also a coach. So we went up to um, Harvey Bay to do some coaching. And it, we were basically running this program called Coaching for Performance, which was basically like a, you know, leader's coach program. And she was actually doing her um, lifestyles inventory accreditation with human synergistics. And she said, would you mind being my, you know, guinea pig? I've got to do a sample one and, you know, provide my reflection on how it went and everything's sure. And I've I'd done LSI before. So as I knew what I was up for, no problem. And um, so, you know, did the tool again. And, and so we, we were doing the program, but sort of in the evenings, you know, when we had time on our own, we were kind of going through the process. And um, so as she was taking me through it, we're kind of unpacking some of the elements of the, of the profile. And, you know, there's kind of that self doubt and, you know, self-criticism and all of that kind of, you know, I'm just lucky, you know, it's not about skill and talent and all that kind of stuff. And she, she just said to me, said, so what evidence do you have that you're not good at this? And I was like, you know, in this being facilitation, coaching, that kind of stuff. And I was like, what evidence do I have? And, you know, you start to go through that, well, okay, well, what is the evidence, you know, feedback, anecdotally, you know, learning evaluations, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, there isn't any evidence. And then, and, and I kind of, and, and, you know, you say the words and you go, there's no evidence that I'm not good at this. Wow. You know, and you, you, and it still sits with me now. It's like, wow, okay, why am I still holding on to that? If there's no evidence, why am I still, the only thing that is getting in my way is me. Get out of the damn way. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm still, I'm still a bit in my way, to be honest. But I think um, writing the book, you know, again, gives, gives me more, actually people are getting something out of it. Oh, I'm actually all right at doing this. Um, so it just, that's probably a very long answer and not quite directly answering your question, but I guess that's been sort of my most significant reflection on a previous reflection. It just, mm. it keeps coming up. I have to keep visiting this one, Brendan, it's not going away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, that can be so true around how we do get in our, in our own way as well. Um, yeah. I'm going to write a book. Why would you do that? Why, why, who'd yeah. want to read your book? Or Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm going to start a podcast. Well, who'd listen to that? Turns out people. people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things is, um, you know, if I can go back a few years, like when I was in the UK, it might have been, I'm trying to think, maybe 2017, something like that. 
I was walking with my sister and I said, hey, you know, I think I'm going to write a book. And I had, and it wasn't exactly the idea that ended up, you know, that I would bet in the end, but my sister said to me, and she's very direct. She's a, um, an emergency medicine consultant. So a specialist emergency medicine person. So very, very direct, forthright, very intelligent. And she, and she just looked at me like I had two heads and said, who would, who would read that? Who would want to read that? And I just took her comment, which she probably never thought about ever again, and just took that as, that's my no there. Can't write a book. Why do we base our decisions on a sample of one? You know, it's like when you go read these reviews and you don't know the people, like they might be blowing head cases. Oh, oh, well, they said it was terrible. Okay, well, it must be terrible then. We base a lot of our decision-making on garbage. So <laughs> we need to be really careful what we're listening to. Yes, we do. Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting reflection as well around and you know, maybe to the importance of tone, right? Like, oh, who would read that? <laughs> who would read yeah. that? And, yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe she said it. Oh, I wonder who would read that. How I heard it. Who yeah. would read that? Yeah. No. Yep. So could it just be my interpretation? <laughs> we are complicated creatures that are full of bias, aren't we? Oh, for sure. We are indeed. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, I'm pleased that it did get written because it was really interesting and it's one that I, you know, enjoyed reading and right. took a lot out of, you know, and I've been working in leadership development for a while now and you know, done similar study and I was still like, oh, there's some good points in there. Oh, awesome. I'm delighted. The other one I liked was the birdcage. Can you explain that? Oh, <laughs> the birdcage with the squirrels? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so for, for those people that are listening that know DISC quite well, I am ID style, which means lots of energy and enthusiasm and love starting things, but really not great at finishing things off. And so I'm the perpetual, oh, this is a great idea. We should do this. And I have a million and one ideas I want to run with. And a friend of mine went to a conference and she came back with this little story. She said, I've got a really good story for you. It's about squirrels. I was like, oh, squirrels, interesting. And she said, so the person at the conference was describing new ideas are like squirrels. And if anybody knows squirrels, they like scamper around their dart up and down trees. They, they live in the UK, so I'm quite familiar with them, but you don't get them in Australia, sadly. And she said, new ideas like squirrels. And if you let them run all over your desk, they just make a hell of a mess. So what you need to do is that you need to, every time you have a new squirrel, you need to put it in a cage. And then what you do is you only let three squirrels out at a time. So the concept of three ideas. And you can't bring any more out until, you know, you've activated those or you've dealt with them in whatever way you want to. So as a result of that, I went home. I was like, that's a great, great story. Love that. Printed a birdcage, like a picture of a birdcage, A4, laminated it, stuck it on my wall next to my desk. And every time I had a new idea, I wrote it on a post-it note and stuck it in the cage. <laughs> so the squirrels are now in the cage. They are corralled and they're not allowed out. And I only had three squirrels that were allowed out this year, which was paperless office, write the book and sort out my pricing. And I've actually, I'm still working on the pricing and the paperless office is probably like 90% there and the book is done. So, which just goes to show if I had let all the other 500 squirrels out, I wouldn't have achieved any of them. So, and I guess I talk in the book about focus. So, and the, the squirrel analogy is there about helping you focus on, on things. And to be honest, 
as much as that person said, let three squirrels out, I really think one is a good number. The power of one, like have, have your one thing that you really want to focus on, give it your full attention. And when you've put that one to bed, awesome, then bring another one out. Mm. So I'm trying to do less, be, you know, do less things at once, be really focused and deliberate and get a much better result. And hopefully in quicker time too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's someone who haven't actually done a disc debrief, but would no doubt be a strong, you know, IS, I think, based on other tools I'm yeah. familiar with. Yeah. Can can occasionally let too many squirrels out or, you know, with that S, let other people's squirrels out. And yep. yep, I can help, I can help, I can help. And then <laughs> we'll get overwhelmed, yeah. Drowning in squirrels. So yeah. let's put them in the cage, let's lock them up and let's just stay focused yeah. on one or two things. So. Sometimes it's just, you know, I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you can hear these old stories sometimes and they just land and you just never forget them. And the, I mean, I'm quite a visual person as well, hence the picture of the birdcage. You know, there is, see the signal every day, birdcage, birdcage, shut them in the birdcage. Um, yeah, because my team, you know, they otherwise they're, there's a squirrel plague. <laughs> that's not good for anyone. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks for joining me today, Anna. Is there anything else you'd like to cover off before we finish up? Really enjoyed our conversation, Brendan. Thank you. Thank you for giving me questions that make me go, hmm, that's a good question. I'm not quite sure what the answer is. <laughs> Love those ones. Uh, no, it's been really fun talking with you. Thank you so awesome. much for having me. Awesome. Anytime. And I'll put links for book where they can go to purchase it and, and how they can track you down on LinkedIn and stuff in the show notes. So. That'd be great. Thanks so much. Do it that way. But thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Coach Conversations podcast. To find out when new conversations are available, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Please rate, review, share, and comment as it helps in more ways than you can imagine. And if you'd like to join me for a coach conversation, please email Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-O-N, at coachconversations.com.au. Thanks again for listening.